Welcome to the Contrast Church Podcast. Contrast is located in Grandview, Ohio, with the mission to help people be with Jesus, become like Him, and live out His mission together. For more information on attending our meetings, our missional communities, or giving, visit contrast.church. All right, so I'm going to read the whole passage for us. Again, we're in James 4, verses 11 through 17. It says, Do not speak against one another, brothers and sisters. He who speaks against a fellow believer or judges a fellow believer speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but it's judge. But there is only one who is lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. On the other hand, who are you to judge your neighbor? Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into this or that town and spend a year there and do business and make a profit. You do not know about tomorrow. What is your life like? For you are a puff of smoke that appears for a short time and then vanishes. You ought to say instead, if the Lord is willing, then we will live and do this or that. But as it is, you boast about your arrogant plans and all such boasting is evil. So whoever knows what is good to do and does not do it is guilty of sin. Okay, so this is a pretty powerful passage. It genuinely has changed my life in a lot of ways and that's what makes me so excited to just get to talk about it this morning. But really, as we read it for the first time, what it has to do with is just humility before God. And this is, if you were at church a couple weeks ago, Andy started to lean into this concept, but this idea that we are not the king of our lives. We are not the ones in charge of our lives. And as I personally was wrestling with the passage, I realized how incredibly hard this is for me. I just, to be honest, I'm not quick to admit that I'm prideful. I don't want to. And I think, um, maybe you relate to that. I think it can be a natural tendency for humans to think, I've got this, I've got this figured out, and to not want to admit that sometimes we're prideful and we can be stuck in our ways. Um, I was reading some stuff that C.S. Lewis writes about pride, and this quote just convicted me. It says, if anyone would like to acquire humility, I think I can tell him the first step. The first step is to realize that one is proud, and it's a big step too. At least nothing can be done before it. If you think you are not conceited, it means you are very conceited indeed. And I think this quote just convicted me because, like I said, I'm not quick to admit that I'm prideful, but C.S. Lewis here, C.S. Lewis here um, dropping the fact that that's the first step to being able to address this pride issue. And so this passage here talks about our pride in two ways that it's manifested. The first way is through the judgment of others, and then the second way is through the way that we plan our lives. And so we'll break down both of those ways and the things that the passage talks about. So we're going to start with verses 11 and 12. I know I just read it, but I'm going to read them again for us. It says, do not speak against one another, brothers and sisters. He who speaks against a fellow believer or judges a fellow believer speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but it's judge. But there is only one who is lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. On the other hand, who are you to judge your neighbor? Okay. So a few weeks ago, Adam gave a sermon on taming the tongue, and this sort of speaks into some similar things of judgment towards our neighbor or our brother and sister. And 
I think this passage, what I love about it, is it goes way deeper into the why behind our judgment of others. Because I think if we're honest, we inherently know that judging others is not good. I want you to think to yourself how many times you've maybe made a comment about someone or said something to someone and then added on the end, no judgment though. Or like, who am I to judge? It's like, yeah, we say that because we know we're not really supposed to do it, but we're still out here doing it. I know I'm very guilty of that. So inherently we know that judgment is wrong. But I think the thing that is more important is what actually makes it wrong and what is the why behind why we're doing that. Um, The first one is pretty simple and straightforward as it goes with James. It's just the fact that it is breaking the royal law of God. And so the royal law, we should love God and love one another. And judging others is acting in opposition to love, which is in opposition to God's law. And so it's pretty simple. That is the first reason why judging others is wrong. And the second reason is the fact that this passage is pretty particular of the role of judgment is reserved only for God. And this is not in the sense, I've heard like celebrities, specifically Miley Cyrus, she'll be do something terrible and just not okay and then be like, only God can judge me. And that's not like the point of this, um, to just get away with whatever we want and say only God can judge us. But the point is that when we judge others, God is actually the only one that is actually perfect. And so... When we take it upon ourselves to judge others, we're then claiming that we not only know what's perfect, but we also are perfect by judging others. And so the issue is that we ourselves have this same issue as others of being imperfect against a holy God. And so when we choose to judge others, we're basically condemning ourselves in that sense. And I think at the end of the day, the reason I say this is because we all know that we can't perfectly fulfill the law. Like we know that none of us are God. I think If we even look at the Ten Commandments, just to name a couple, lying, using the Lord's name in vain, jealousy. I know that I've fallen into those things even this week, and I'm sure that all of us here have. We know that we fall short of the law, too. There's a verse, Romans 2, verses 1 through 2. It says, therefore, you are without excuse, whoever you are, when you judge someone else. Because on whatever grounds you judge another, you condemn yourself, because you who judge practice the same things. So it's pretty simple. If we're honest, we know we can't perfectly fulfill the law because we also are imperfect against a holy God. And one thing that I just want to give as a caveat is this isn't to rule out having hard conversations with Christians or maybe calling them higher to what the Lord calls us to. This is more so to rule out like a harsh, critical spirit within us that just wants to find fault with others. Do you see the difference? Like there's a difference between no, I genuinely love my brother and sister and I want to call them higher because I care about them and just wanting to judge them and call out all the things that you find as a fault in them, if that makes sense. And so I think as we seek to sort of combat this spirit of judgment within us, it's important to mention that the, you know, the way to fight back on this is not just going to be by simply like slapping herself on the wrist and saying, I'm going to do better. I'm going to stop judging people. Um, Andy leaned into this a couple weeks ago in his sermon But the scripture right before this, verses 1 through 11, at the end, it's talking about our passions. And it talks about drawing near to God, receiving his grace, being cleansed. And I think that is just so important because when we ourselves are able to have a proper humility of our sin and God's grace for us, it just isn't within us to want to judge our brother or sister arrogantly. Um, I know personally, when I get time with the Lord and get to experience his grace, like my attitude towards others is just totally different. And so I think That's a key here in this passage as we seek to fight this. Uh, Paul David Tripp was talking about this, and he says, I love this quote. He says, no one celebrates the presence and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ towards other people 
more than the person who has embraced his desperate and daily need of it for himself. I just love that so much. This is the simple gospel. This is what we all need as a church um, is his grace every single day. And that will genuinely change the way that we treat our brothers and sisters. So yeah, if these uh, first few verses are about the way that our pride comes out in judgment towards others, the next few verses are about the pride and arrogance in the way that we go about planning our lives. So I'm going to reread for us verses 13 through 16. It says, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into this or that town and spend a year there and do business and make a profit. You do not know about tomorrow. What is your life like? For you are a puff of smoke that appears for a short time and then vanishes. You ought to say instead, if the Lord is willing, then we will live and do this or that. But as it is, you boast about your arrogant plans, and all such boasting is evil. Okay, so some more hard-hitting verses. In these three verses, James is rebuking the kind of heart that lives and makes their plans apart from a constant awareness of God in those plans. And also with a lack of understanding of how limited we are as humans and how short our lives are. So I just want you to think to yourself for a second, how many of your days go exactly how you planned? Just think about it. Um, For me, I literally was thinking and I'm like, I don't know if any of my days, even this week, have gone exactly how I planned. There's always like the little reminders that we just aren't in control of everything, right? You oversleep on an alarm, maybe you wanted to go to bed at a certain time, but your kid came in and they were sick, so you had to stay up all night with them, or your tire goes flat on the way to a meeting and it's important and you're late. Um, You know, things that you just don't finish your to-do list. This one totally did not happen to my husband and I this summer at all, but maybe your hot water heater breaks and then you have to pay money to fix it and you wish you didn't, you know, things like that. There's all these little things that go wrong that remind us we no matter how much we plan, we're not perfectly in control of every single day. Um, But then in addition to that, I think there's these bigger things in life that remind us that not only are we not in control of our day to day, but we're not in control fully of our lives as a whole. Um, These bigger things, uh, maybe some of these have been things that you've walked through, but you know, a job layoff or an unexpected breakup or a difficult diagnosis that you weren't expecting or a phone call about a family member. If, if these things, if you haven't walked through any of these bigger and more difficult and heart-wrenching things in life, they are inevitable. No matter how many resources you have, no matter how much planning you do, at some point, there's bigger things that happen in life that are out of our control. And I think in this passage, James is really helping us face the reality that we just can't control everything in our lives. And James is not against making plans, um, I don't want you guys to hear that. Making plans is actually important. God, he calls us to steward our time and our relationships. And so I don't want you to hear that like planning or dreaming or having ambitions is totally a bad thing. But the key here to this rebuke involves the wording. In the passage, instead of them saying, God, let us go here or there. And we pray that this is what you would will. They say we will go here. And this is what will happen. It moves forward with this domineering attitude that assumes the way that things are going to go. And that's the key to the rebuke here in James. And Charles Spurgeon was talking about it in a commentary. And he said that these people, they thought everything was at their disposal and they wanted to use it all for worldly gain. And so they didn't determine with each other, we will go today or tomorrow and do such and such thing for the glory of God and for the extension of his kingdom. There was no word about God in it from the beginning to end. 
And so I think what we see here is that the cardinal fault with this passage is not simply with making plans, it's with the omission of God in the plans. I've been thinking about uh, Proverbs 16.9. I was reading Proverbs earlier this summer, and it's just been sort of laying in the back of my mind, the verse that says, a person plans his course, but the Lord directs his steps. It's just a reminder to me that it's genuinely foolish to think there's a world where we can live and make plans apart from God being involved in them. So that's a cardinal issue here in this passage. But in addition to making these plans without God in mind, there's also a presumption of exactly how the plans will go without acknowledging how limited humans are and how short our lives here on earth are. Um, And the passage uses some pretty crazy language. It says, your life is like a puff of smoke. Some other versions say your life is like a mist. I mean, that is jarring to me. Here today and gone tomorrow is what scripture says. And so I'm going to try to show you guys this little analogy as best I can with this microphone in hand. Um, But I want to bring out this rope. And this analogy comes from Francis Chan. So if you want a better uh, view of this analogy, you can just Google Francis Chan rope analogy, and he'll do it way better than me. But I'm still going to take a little stab at it. Um, So I want us to picture this rope. I'm pulling it up here. It's only 50 feet long. But I want you to picture that it goes on forever. So I like to picture it wrapping around the world forever and ever. Uh, You can picture it however you want. But regardless, this rope would represent our lives. Because as we know, the Bible says we are eternal beings. So we will live forever. So this rope going on forever would represent our eternal lives forever. And then I want you to picture that this little red tape here would represent your life here on earth. Just like scripture said, your life is a puff of smoke or a mist. That's how small it is in comparison to all of eternity. And what Francis Chan talks about in this analogy is how we spend most of our time and anxiety and weight that we put into things thinking about this red tape and either not putting enough emphasis on the bigger picture of eternity or even worse, sometimes ignoring the reality that that even exists. And so, you know, while we proclaim we are Christians and we believe that our lives are worth living for eternity and God's kingdom, we spend so much time thinking you know, how can I make sure I make enough money here so I can do this here? Or how can I make sure that I get married right here so I can have kids right here? Or do, you know, all these different plans that we make within our short red tape of life without putting enough weight on eternity and forever. And the idea that our life is for the purpose of God and his glory. And so I know this can be a little bit like depressing to hear, like really, you're, you're equating my life to a red tape. And the goal is not that it would make us feel depressed or that our lives don't matter or that they're so short that we shouldn't even care what happens. That is not the point of this analogy. Um, in fact, the hope is that it would lead us to feel quite the opposite. Um, because the realization that we're faced with is both the smallness of man and the brevity of life, how short our lives here are here on earth, and also how big and eternal our God is and the bigger picture that he has. And so the hope is that we would have an understanding that we may be, yeah, we can't trust ourselves and our plans as much as we might think, but we can surrender our plans and our very lives into the hands of a God who actually sees the bigger picture of eternity, who actually cares about us, wants the best for us and knows what's best for us. And I think as I was thinking about this, I was like, this is really hard to live out. And I think the reason for that is because the world is constantly telling us the exact opposite of what scripture says about the way life works. So the world is only telling us to worry about the red tape and to not think about anything beyond that. And as we start to 
wrap up here, I just want to give us a few examples of things that I think the world is telling us that are not true and are not what the Bible actually says about that red tape, about our lives here on earth. So the first one that I thought of is that the world is telling us that we are in total control of our lives, that we have everything we need within us to make things happen. The Colossians 1.17 says that he is before all things and in him all things hold together. The world says that we need to white knuckle things and we need to figure them out on our, on our own. We've got the power. But Christ in Deuteronomy 3.18 says, it is the Lord who goes before you. Like similar to that Proverbs verse, he is the one that has to go before you in all things. This one really gets me. It says, the world says that you need to have a five, 10, 20 year plan for your life and you need to stick to it perfectly in order to be successful. Make your plan and stick to it. But in Isaiah 55 verses eight through nine, It says, indeed, my plans are not like your plans, and my deeds are not like your deeds. For just as the sky is higher than the earth, so my deeds are superior to your deeds, and my plans are superior to your plans. The world says that you need all sorts of things throughout the duration of life to make you happy, whether it be material things, achievements, whatever it is. But Philippians uh, 3, Paul is talking about his life knowing Christ. And he says, I consider all of these things, he had all the achievements and all the things he could want, He said, I consider them all a loss compared to knowing Christ. I love that scripture. The last one I wrote here, but I do think the list could go on forever. The world is telling us that you only live once. Uh, The world is telling us that this red tape is all that there is. That's what a lot of people believe. Uh, But in Matthew 6, verses 19 through 20, it says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. This is the world we're living in and living countercultural to it is really difficult. Um, It's definitely a fight. I was reading this devotional by Paul David Tripp and he refers to this temptation that we can fall into as Christians as functional atheism, which I know it sounds like really strong language, uh, but it's this idea that we as Christians, we believe that God is king. We believe he's sovereign. We believe in the beauty of eternity and God's kingdom. But sometimes in certain parts of our lives, we act as if God is not the one in control. And I know for me, like, It's embarrassing to think of all the places that I can live in functional atheism as if God is not actually the one in control of that area of my life. And so as we realize that there's areas of our lives where we are maybe not living with an acknowledgement or a total reliance on God, the goal would not be that it would lead us into despair or fear or just to be frozen, but the hope would be that it would lead us this morning into confession of where we're falling short or maybe where we're choosing other things and a deeper dependence on God in those areas. And the goal is that this would come with great freedom. When when we were gonna have slides, I had this picture of a father and his son on a riding lawnmower. And the kid was the one steering. He was totally mowing the lawn with his dad. But the good news is that the dad was still there and he was ultimately the one in charge. Like he could stop the engine if he needed to. Um, And that comes with great freedom, right? Like we wouldn't want a three-year-old mowing the lawn by themselves. It would be very scary. I kind of picture that like us with God the Father of it is, it is with great freedom and joy and safety that we get to turn our lives over to him and genuinely trust him with things. And so that is my hope for us this morning. Um, the very last verse here as we come to a close is verse 17, and it's simply a challenge to act on what we know. Um, 
verse 17 says, it's a sin to know what you ought to do and to not do it. And that simply goes back to the theme that's all throughout James of just genuine faith is proved by action. And so no matter how high our view is of God and his word, if we're not choosing to let it change us and to live our lives based off of it, it's showing the world that maybe we don't put as much stock into it as we say we do. And so sort of with that thought in mind and that conviction in mind, we are going to transition into a time of formation. And my hope is that this would just give us a chance to consider where in our lives these things might be true. Thank you for listening to the Contrast Church Podcast. To learn more about us and how you can be a part of it, visit contrast.church.